Welcome back to another episode of Laser Graves. I am your co-host, E.K. Wimmer. Hey, Ernest Kinfolk. I'm Mariah Rose. How are you doing? I'm great. Oh, good. Following my dreams, pursuing a life of joy. <laughs> it's all fabulous. How are you? Uh, pretty good. I'm happy to be talking about this movie this week. Oh, mm-hmm. Yeah. If you are joining us for the first time, welcome. This Hi. is a podcast about the 80s. And sometimes we do events or people. Sometimes we just do movies that we really want to talk about. And this is one of those weeks. Mm-hmm. So not any kind of deep diving research, just us. <laughs> kind of just talking about a really fun one this week. We're staggering our deep dives because currently I am pursuing a, a yoga teacher certification. And I have to go away a lot to classes. So we are uh, scheduling our our podcast accordingly yes that's true we're trying to maintain a sense of sanity (laughs) with all these projects that we're juggling but we're having fun so thank you for joining us for those of you who are Mm -hmm. longtime listeners thanks for coming back most of you have probably seen this if you haven't i think it's on tubi for free so check it out yeah i'm pretty sure And like we say every week, if you really like our show and want to get a little bit more from us, you can join our Patreon for a kind of tiered system. I think there's a couple different amounts there and you get bonus episodes and all kinds of other stuff. And that's at patreon.com slash lasergraves. So check that out if you need a little more on your morning commute. These these short episodes aren't quite doing it for you. You need just a tad bit more. Little little dabble do ya. Yeah, a little bump in the morning. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, don't do cocaine. Do laser graves. Yeah, but not every morning. We don't have that kind of time, and neither do you. Nope, but we do have time this week to discuss the 1987 horror comedy. Uh, it's it's a fun one. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Doom Asylum. But I'm worried now, that legend about the corner... Nobody ever got killed by a legend. Back in the flash. And if I'm not, don't come looking for me. Before we dive into the movie itself, let's talk about our selection process. Yeah, sure, why not? Okay, so just to give you a behind the scenes, if you're new, if you're an old listener, I mean, I don't know what age you are, but if you're a long time listener, (laughs) maybe you're old, maybe you're young, I don't know, long time (laughs) listeners, you probably know, sometimes you, EK, will will pick out a pile Mm -hmm. of movies and I choose from that pile. So you kind of, you know the collection better than I do because you made it. I reap the benefits. I judge the misfits. And then you just give me a pile and I'm like, this is what I feel like. So yes. it's because I'm just so bossy. I'm like, do it for me. Pick it out. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you you have a good eye. I kind of tell you my mood that I'm in and you're like, uh, yeah. you're like a little wizard or something. You just come at me with some different suggestions. Yeah, for... I don't know if I'd use the, the term little, but I'm definitely like a wizard. What is the average height of a wizard? 6'4"? Oh, no, definitely oh. not. That's I was a, thinking Gandalf. He's tall. He is tall. But it, that includes that includes wizard hat height. Yeah, of course. Six four. Okay, 
So now that we have that established, you picked out a pile for me and I was really tired. I'd had an insomniac night and I said, you cannot, don't you dare give me something boring. Yeah, which is hard for me sometimes because your concept of boring is not quite my concept of boring. Yeah, my concept of boring is if it's too slow paced, I will fall asleep. Yeah, or if it's just an awesome action movie, it's instantly boring to you. It's true. <laughs> I'm like, I can't get anything in there. I can't believe we've even done a couple at this point. I will straight up fall asleep after like five roundhouses. I have almost every film David A. Pryor has made, and we've only covered two of them. I seriously, I do think like each roundhouse hypnotizes me a little bit more. One of them, now that I'm looking at it. Oh. Come on. Okay. Anyway, each roundhouse puts me into a trance, and eventually I fall asleep. But I told you I was tired. You didn't put any David A. Pryor, which was kind of shocking. I had a couple in mind, too. (laughs) I really did. did. I was, like, in the mood this week. And actually, every single option was awesome, and I felt, like, a little heartbreak, as I said, like, passed and narrowed it down. So we kept the whole stack. So we got some good, good ones. Juicy tidbits coming your way. Yeah, they are some fun ones. You're not normally stumped uh, so much. You can weed through them pretty quickly and yeah. be like, yeah, this one. But this one, uh, you, you got a little stuck there for a second. But the reason I chose Doom Asylum was because it said like goth girl cults or something. Yeah. And then I opened up the little booklet that came with it and I was like, Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, this is a first-time watch for you. You too? No, not you. No, not for me, but for you. And I was excited for you to see it. I was secretly hoping you would choose this one, but I didn't say Mm. anything in the selection process. I let you weed through the ones. We should also, since we're talking about this movie... We this week is a rare one where it wasn't a VHS. I mean, we're not a VHS podcast like Bad Taste. You're number one horror VHS podcast. Yeah. But we do primarily only watch movies from our collection. Well, you've got like a mini blockbuster in our house. Well, and it's an 80s podcast, and that was the heyday of VHS. However, Mm -hmm. I have wanted Doom Asylum on VHS for a long time. It's an Academy release. It's kind of hard to come by just because it's a little pricier. It's a little trendier, and people charge more. I see why. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, it's It's an awesome film, but I've just not been able to get one. And I kind of gave up on it, and then... A friend of the show and friend of mine, Terry, knew that I really liked this film. Mm-hmm. I don't know how he found this, but he found the Arrow Blu-ray release of this. It's pretty oh, cool. recent. Awesome. It's got all these commentaries and interviews and beautiful new scan and everything. It was so crystal clear. It was clear. really nice. And I don't know if he thrifted it or whatever, but he surprised me with it. We send each other stuff you know, all the time, and he just surprised me with this. And the director's film that came before this, his first film, Scared Stiff, which I really wanted to see. So that's how we got this copy. So this week, we we didn't struggle to kind of make out half the stuff on the screen. Oh, yeah. Watching Blu-rays is a new experience for us. We are not blue, Blu-ray collectors, uh, but boy, I get all the hype now. Because you can see stuff. It looks really good. We're aging, too. Uh, actually, my my <laughs> eyes are perfect, but you're turning into an old man. We're going to get you yeah. ear horned, and you got glasses. So the Blu-ray really helps you. Yeah, so needless to say, this is not a VHS copy, but I am very happy. So thanks, Terry, for this, because it Thank is you, in a Terry. very loving home. Yes, I will definitely be watching this again. Yeah, I'm so excited that this was a first-time watch. 
sometimes I know, well, I don't typically bring you films I don't think you'll like, but there are ones when I watch them, I think, oh man, she's going to be shocked she never knew about this one. This is another one of those cases, we talked about this a few times in the past, for for ones that are newer to you, especially, uh, this just wasn't in a video store. I don't no. ever remember seeing this. I would have grabbed it because I like I like the word doom just in general. <laughs> yeah, sure. So <laughs> doom I is a good it. word. <laughs> yeah, and it's got a fun cover, but I just I've never come across this before. This is one that I found once I got on Instagram and started meeting other collectors, and I kept seeing it. And I was like, oh, it's really cool. And then finally, I I saw a copy of it. And I fell in love with it instantly. And mainly because, as you know, I love any movies that involve music, like any kind of rock horror. Yeah. And there is definitely a band at the center of this film, an awesome band that we'll get to later. So this one was an instant uh, like for me. Yeah. Okay, well, let's talk a little bit about this film, how it got made and kind of who the players are. Yeah. So I mentioned Scared Stiff. That was the first film from director Richard Friedman, who went on to do this one. Was that based on a book? No, there is one called... No, you're thinking the book that we have. No, it's totally different. Oh, that's too bad. Because there is a book that I read. It's about a morgue. Yeah. With the kids and then there's a zombie and he just chases them through town. Scared the absolute crap out of me as a kid. So I kept reading it over and over again. Yeah, no, this is different. But for Doom Asylum, Richard was approached by the producer who just wanted to make a horror film because it's the 80s and this was all the rage. Yeah, you gotta... He basically gave him a couple marching orders, like, there's if there can be some nudity, great, we'll talk about that. It's kind of shocking how there's only one very brief scene, and that's it, considering who is in the film. What is the brief nude scene? It's when Tina is standing on the rooftop and, oh, and pulls yeah, her yeah. bra off. But that's, so he, he wanted a little bit of nudity. He wanted it to be um, kind of campy, so a little humor. A little campy? Well, this is what he was requesting. Okay. And then he wanted a lot of gore. And I would say... Uh, on all three accounts, the producer must have been pretty pleased <laughs> with the final outcome because, <laughs> uh, you know, maybe not as much nudity as he was expecting, but definitely great gore in this, which we'll talk about. Yes. And it's very campy. It's definitely a horror comedy. Oh, yeah. No doubt. You have like eight seconds to realize that when this starts. You just go, oh, okay. I yeah. see what I'm in for. Let's just go. Yeah. And I watched a couple interviews with Richard, and he seems like a really easygoing, kind of fun guy. And some of the people who were saying on set, these they knew that they were just making a funny movie, and so they were just laughing the whole time. Everybody oh, was having great. a really good time. So I And I think that comes through in this film. It you does. can tell it's not a trauma film, but it kind of has that vibe where you can tell they're just having a lot of fun making it. Yeah. So this is kind of one of my favorite eras of of 80s horror, these really bizarre off-the-wall ones. Yeah, sort of at the end of the 80s, they became kind of self-aware. And they're like, this is it. This is the sweet spot. We're going to just settle in and make top tier. Yeah, and I think that Richard did a really good job directing it. He went on to do, right after this, a couple episodes of Tales from the Dark Side, the Friday the 13th series. He also, after that, went on to do the, the uh, notorious Phantom of the Mall with Polly Shore. So, <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's, a, he's a fun director. This was filmed over, some people thought it was eight days, but he said it was 12 to 14 days. Either way, that's a real quick amount of time. Mm. But when you watch this movie, you go, it took them more than one day to make this. Yeah, but they, I mean, there's a lot to it. Beyond the special effects. Yeah, the special effects. There's a lot of setup for that. 
This was filmed in an actual old abandoned sanitarium. It's called sanatorium when I looked it up. What's the difference? I think one letter is the difference. Ah, yes. <laughs> so. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. It was at Essex Mountain Sanatorium is where it was in New Jersey. And so... New Jersey? Yeah. When I was listening to some of the interviews and stuff, they were saying it was just shut down in the 70s. Mm. And it was still... A lot of that stuff was still there. All those wheelchairs and the operating tables and stuff, that's all was just left there. That's what they did in the 70s, right? They just like had a huge... Maybe it was... Yeah, it was 70s where they had like a... We're going to close all of these because they're not doing any good. But then also suddenly there was a tremendous amount of mentally ill homeless people. Yeah. Yeah, they definitely there was a a shift in in, you know, this is pre Reagan era. But it was that idea of like, this isn't um, a useful, you know, space for for serving the mentally ill and shut it all down. But instead, they just closed up the gates. It became like a beacon for, you know, punks and youths to just come drink and do drugs and hang out and party. I feel like the Cropsey guy was New Jersey, too. Maybe What what are you talking about? There's a documentary about him, like a maybe killer that or like boogeyman that lived at a an abandoned asylum. Oh, interesting. Well, it's funny you say that because the crew said there was rumors that there were bodies still down. No! That there was like a a catacomb, as they called it, underneath. A bunch of series of tunnels and stuff. And they went down there looking. Like, in between shoots, they would grab their flashlight and go look for bodies. And they one time found... An entire living area of a homeless man. It was well, sure. areas and everything. And so while they were shooting, there was actually people like living in the basement of well, that area. Yeah. How weird, too, to just be like, oh, I guess they're filming at my house. Yeah. Uh, but this set, holy cow, let's talk about this because it is really cool. Yes. It's very cool. It's an old building, an abandoned building. Uh, lots of metalheads had visited. You could tell by the Metallica and Ozzy. I wondered if that was done by them as as part of it. You well, know, some like... of it for sure was because there was a, a mention of, I think, the band or one of the band members spray painted in there that I saw. Okay, yeah, because it is fun. There's just a ton of metal band names spray painted on the walls. There's so much lead paint just like oozing asbestos as far as the eye can see yeah yeah i'm pretty sure they all are dead now (laughs) uh but yeah all that stuff that is in there was just left so they just Mm -hmm. used what what they could work with when they went in do you remember so every town has their abandoned place in the town where we went to high school there was a abandoned water treatment plant that we all called hell. Yeah, we've mentioned it a couple times, I think, on here. Oh, okay. Yeah, so we would go down there and find. We found mercury just yeah. floating on the around on the dirt floor, and <laughs> we collected all of this mercury as teenagers. We were smart enough to use like a dropper and put it into a container, but those places are in every town. Yeah. So it kind of adds to the validity of this. Not that, not that there's any other point of validity, but. You know, it's believable in a way. Yeah, this was eventually demolished, but I'm glad they got to shoot here because this is, I mean, probably one of the best parts of the film is the location. I mean, this is, how could you ask for anything better? They said that it only cost them $50 a day to shoot here, too. (sighs) 
cool. Could you imagine that now? Having Does, access to that? I wondered too because they use electricity in the film and I was thinking about that. Like, did they have to have generators or what, was there electricity going into the building? I can't imagine you know the answer to that, but... I would imagine it was still wired up and maybe if you could rent it, they just turned it on for that time. Oh. You know, there might have been something that was with the local kind of electrical company because it seemed like it was. They had everything, plan- you know, plugged in. I mean, I in. guess it would have been only like 10 years old. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, exactly. But it's a really cool location. They had eighty to $90,000 to shoot this entire film on. Okay. Which, honestly, when you think about the size of the cast and crew and the special effects and everything, it's they did a really good job with that amount of money. And it's shot on 35 millimeter. Like, it looks great. They got, you know, a couple of names. Everybody else was just beginners. They really was, for sure. Their only real veteran was their cinematographer who had been, you know, super active since the 60s. And so he came in with, with a, a lot of experience. But... Yeah, Richard Friedman, the director, this was, he was fresh. We'll get into the cast, but most of them, this was their first and only film. Mm-hmm. We'll get into the special effects by uh, Vincent Costini, who was pretty, pretty young at this time. He's gone on to do amazing things. So no doubt. Yeah, this was all just like a really fun, low budget project that everybody put a lot of passion into. And again, like I said, not only with the humor, but just the love for it, it really comes across as... I like when I watch movies like this where I wish I was on set. Like, I would have had fun oh, if I was yeah. making this film. And this this seems like one of those films. I agree. I agree. Let's get into this. We start out with a cover of House of the Rising Sun, which we'll revisit periodically throughout <laughs> this true. film. It really bookends this film. Uh-huh. <laughs> and we have a couple driving in a convertible. Their names are Mitch and Judy. Judy's a babe and a half. Oh, yeah. Super babe. Mitch is not. I mean, he's just an average looking dude. Judy has brought a mirror so that she can look at herself. It's a mirror with like a handle that's also a spike and it's very ornate and gold. And Judy is played by Patty Mullen. Yeah, let's talk about Patty Mullen. What I guess she still is because she's still alive. But at one point she was a penthouse and I learned the term pet. Yeah, pet of the year. Okay. But what everybody else knows her from is Frankenhooker. <laughs> oh, <laughs> On a yes. date. So that is her. I was really surprised by this. I've never known this until just researching this film. She only has three acting credits. Really? This, then she did one episode on a TV series, and then Frankenhooker, and then just walked away. All right. And I looked into it like, why? Because I mean, she's like this cult icon. I had assumed she was in a bunch of movies I just hadn't seen yet, but she just moved and raised kids and just kind of went on with her business. So fine. how crazy, though, because, you know, she's got two films under her belt and both of them are like adored by the horror community. Hmm. Well, she in this plays Judy and we'll soon learn Kiki as well. But for now, let's focus on Judy. Judy and Mitch, they're driving and through the course of their conversation, we realize they've uh, won five million dollars in a lawsuit now it was a little unclear to me was mitch the lawyer of this lawsuit? i think so because throughout the film he often makes these like jokes about law and representing people and stuff right and i guess she was the defendant or whatever so it was both of their money and And it seemed shady too how they got the money and they're in love and they're (laughs) 
<laughs> they're drinking and driving. And you know when you watch a, a movie where somebody's driving and they're not looking at the road and you're like, ugh. This is that times nine billion. It is, they're just making out and driving and popping champagne and looking in the mirror while House of the Rising Sun plays. (laughs) And inevitably, they get into a car accident. And it's a ridiculous car accident. It's really great. And this also sets the tone right away of what kind of film you're in for. Absolutely. After the car accident, Mitch like crawls to Judy. And he grabs her hand. Yeah, her body is totally mangled. Yeah, he grabs her hand and then realizes it's not attached. Yeah, this looks awesome. Yep. And she just reveals that she loves him and don't worry about it. Also, she had mentioned right before the car accident that she was going to send her brat to boarding school. Right. So not really great, mom, but whatever. Then let's scoot ahead to the autopsy where we see Mitch has died too. Yes. He's on the table, and we have, like, a two people, uh, I think an intern, maybe, like, somebody who's learning, and then the, what's the autopsy person? The coroner. Thank you. <laughs> the coroner is there, and he's like, let's take the skin off of his face. This looks awesome. Except it's for, so why? Fun. Why, though? I don't know. Uh, there is no reason. It looks great, and this is, it makes for a really great character who is instantly recognizable in this film. Like, if you see a still from this, you know exactly what film it is. I like that. It's really fun. It is fun, but also illogical, because for some reason, this recently deceased man, they're going to take his face skin off. (laughs) So they do, but the intern guy, like the student, starts to go, oh, no, oh, no, and whoopsie-daisy, Mitch is alive. And he, instead of having a normal response to being found on the autopsy table, which I don't know what would be normal, but his is irregular for sure. He just kills them both. Yeah. And he escapes. Uh, That's that. Yeah, this is interesting. I thought about this. What made him a psychopath? Uh, Like, he lost his love. Maybe Judy... Wouldn't... Wait. Would you not... I mean, I guess, yeah, now that I'm thinking about it. If you if saw you me died, die and yeah. you held my hand, which wasn't attached. Right, I had your severed hand. I hope you would go on a killing spree. I woke up and there were two people taking the skin off my face. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I guess I get it. This is totally realistic. Totally believable. Now, that's when the titles come up. So we've got our intro, but don't worry, we get to hear the same song. We get to hear hear House of the Rising Sun, we get to see a convertible, we get to go under the same bridge, we're back at the beginning, except it's 10 years later. And no longer is it Mitch and Judy in the convertible, but we have Kiki, Judy's daughter, played by the same actress. Yes, but she looks much more like Patty. Yeah, she's, she's a total babe. Yes, and her boyfriend is driving Let's call him Indecisive Mike. Yeah, yeah, that's a great name. He's great. So, well, I don't know. Do you want to call him that? Yeah, I don't. Hmm. Hmm. They find Kiki's mother's like spot of death, which is a weird thing to choose to do on an afternoon, but they do. And Kiki finds her mom's fancy stabby mirror. Yeah, what I love though is that the rest of the teenagers are young. I don't know what age they are. 20, I think they're kind of adults. But they're all in the convertible and they're super annoyed that she wants to take the time to find like where her mother was killed, like tragically, to the point of, so we haven't talked yet, but somebody else who is in this film, 
It's her very first film. Is it? Yes. Kristen Davis from, I think, only Sex in the City fame. I, I was thinking that, too. I mean, I think she did a ton of, like, soap operas and stuff, but really, that that's what everybody oh, knows yeah. her Oh, yeah. She did do soaps, I feel. I think she did, like, ER and all that kind of stuff, but... Okay. But yeah, Maybe Sex in the City is, is her area. big claim to fame. But this was a very, very young one. And she was in her first feature film. She's really adorable in this, too. Oh, she's so pretty anyway. So this is just her young. Although we have to admit here that we've watched Sex in the City. You know, though, when you're really bored... Okay, this was, you were young. Very, <laughs> we were very young. young. Like early 20s. We had Undergrad. nothing to watch. Somebody lent us the first season and we were like, okay. And then we just watched it. This has happened multiple times in our life where we didn't like it, but we just felt like we had to continue to watch it. Yeah. And then when we got through it, we both looked at each other and we were like, why did we just watch that? Yeah, but we did. We watch 18 seasons of <laughs> <Yeah>. that. <laughs> so if you love that series, um, good for you. But I guess I don't know why we watched it, but we did. So we're very familiar with her work in that. <laughs> like, but they would they would tease us with Kyle MacLachlan. That's true. Yeah, we were like, oh, Kyle MacLachlan's in this. There must be something worthwhile. Well, Kristen in this, her character is really funny. She's got, she's like psychoanalyzing everybody. Because her parents are both psychiatrists. They do a really good job of giving a very quick backstory to characters. But they're all really annoyed that Patty, or Kiki, I guess, wants Mm to, you know, look at where her mother was killed. And Kristen says this uh, really funny line here where she's just like wanting to move along. She says this. Come on, guys. She died. And the humor in this, I would say 90 plus percent of it sticks really well. Yeah. It's a funny movie and the humor is really well placed. It's true. I would say there are only a few that are kind of cringy, which definitely happens with 80s films. Yeah. Or a couple ones that felt a little, uh, you know, forced. Yeah, for sure. But for the most part, the humor in this is very easygoing, very natural, and it makes me laugh a lot. The humor is super weird. It's just kind of like offbeat. Very 80s offbeat, yeah. In fact, there's a a scene here that I think sets the tone for the entire rest of the movie. (laughs) So Kiki is mourning the loss of her mother. Yes. Let's just, I I can't even explain it. Let's just play this clip too, because it's really funny. Okay. It will be all right, Kiki. It will be all right. At least I think it will be all right. After all, you've got me now. I mean, if that's any comfort to you, I'm not your mother, and I never could be. But I can try. Can I call you mom? Sure. <laughs> wow. That's it's good. That's, it's really good. And that'll come back. Yeah, let's it, just say yeah. she straight up sticks to that. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. Throughout. Okay, well, they need to make their way to the sanitarium. Yeah, obviously they don't have time to mourn Kiki's mom's death. They got to get to this abandoned asylum because they got to sunbathe and look at baseball cards. That's true. That so, is the plan. Yep, they they go there. They discover they're not alone. In fact, there's a sexy all-lady goth band. like, And 
they're not really goth band. They're more like performance artists. It's like industrial performance art. Yeah. It's like noise rock is what I would call it. Which is rad. Yeah. Actually, uh, if you want to know more about it, I could give you this week's fun fact. What? Okay, so the band that they discover is Tina and the Tots. <laughs> now, like Tater Tots? Yeah. Okay. We'll talk about Tina later, who she was, you know, the actress and everything else. But let's talk about the actual music that you're hearing. So when they come up upon this band during rehearsal in mm-hmm. this abandoned asylum, which is great. Yes. They see there is this experimental performance-based noise rock group. Which I am all for. Oh my gosh. I would have been the coolest person in the world in my own mind if I was in an experimental noise band in an asylum. Yeah, it's really fun. Their look is great. They've got this kind of communist, uh, you know, bass drum. And one of them's this like German, you know, pre-raver looking. She looks like she hangs out with the kind of early industrial Are you scene. talking about the girl with a fake French accent? Yeah. Okay, so she's not German. She's faux French. Well, if you want to call it French. It's... She tries, kind of. Okay. Okay. She's from the Alsace-Lorraine area. It oh. goes back and forth. <laughs> okay. That's a history joke, if ever I heard yeah. it. boom <laughs> So, and then we've got the drummer, but we have Tina, the lead singer, right? We'll talk about Tina after, but... The fun fact is about the music, which I love. And when I read reviews, everybody's like, oh, this is the worst thing I've ever heard. And I'm like, what are you talking about? This is awesome. The best. I legit like this music. This music was done by a real band. Yeah. I don't know how in the world they found this band or why they selected this of all things. They actually found them at the sanatorium. Uh, But I love it. This was done by a real band named Psychodrama, who was formed in 1981 in Washington, D.C., and they did put out a couple cassettes and everything. It was a three-piece. They were a performance experimental band that was founded with a a shared love of, like, surrealism, Dadaism, horror movies. Can we be friends? Yeah, I found an interview with the lead singer, who was, her name was Leslie Singer, who was completely involved in this whole performance-based stuff of the early 80s. She was in the whole underground, hardcore punk scene and everything. And the song that they're performing is called Tormental. And it was actually heard on the 1983 compilation record called You'll Hate This Record, which also included artists like Gigi Allen. So this is a really interesting group to bring into just a a random 80s horror movie. Uh, Let's play a clip of Tormental by Psychodrama. Take it or leave it. But if you know... Take it. If you know Team Wimmer, you know that we're all about this. Yeah. So there you go. That is the fun fact. But let's bring it back now to the movie of who is performing this clip on on camera. And that is Tina and the Tots. Let's talk about Tina. Okay. Tina has long blonde hair. It's like crazy extensions. She's whipping it around. She's got like a plastic skirt on. The coolest bra in the world. Super high stiletto boots. 
She's screaming. Her band is doing their thing. They're all like the coolest goth chicks ever from the 80s. Well, I wouldn't call them goth chicks, but I would say they're... Industrial chicks. Yeah, they're industrial chicks. And she is played by Ruth Collins, who became a kind of a B-movie queen. She was originally a model and then starred in a bunch of films from the 80s that people who listen to our podcast will probably know, like Psychos in Love, Blood Sisters, one I really like, Cemetery High. That's a great one. And then she was in this one that I really want to see, but it's hard to get a, a hold of because it's rare, called Hell Roller. <laughs> But I'll see it someday. Okay. Anyway, that's who we're dealing with is Ruth Collins, who is quite a character and definitely steals the show. Oh, yeah. She's so much fun. Her character is like not going to put up with anything. She's, she's just, more punk. Yeah, she is but definitely more punk. She's more like uh, like Wendy o. Williams or something like that. Like she'd mm. be in the plasmatics or something. That's yeah, yeah. how I would place her. But really fun group to introduce into this whole ensemble cast, which... You know, you talked about doing quick backstories. Surprisingly, for a low-budget horror film, I think they do a good job of making each character like their own individual. Yes. They're not all just kind of clumped into... Like when you watch Friday the 13th movies or something, it's just like another teens. group of teens. Yeah. But these groups of teens really do have their own weird quirks, and I like that. Yes. Each person feels like their own individual person. So, from the car, the original car visiting Kiki's mom's death spot... We have Darnell. He was in the back seat with Kristen Stewart. He goes in. He doesn't want to listen to their psycho song. So he unplugs them and dances off with his friends to set up in the yard of the asylum for their sunbathing situation. But the band is mad. They're like, no, we're going to go to war. But the drummer spots Darnell and it's love at first sight. And lots of, uh, well, a few scenes of them running through a field to embrace. (laughs) It's very comical. It's funny. So the point is, we develop a feud. Meanwhile, we get these shots of somebody who could it possibly be, Mitch, creeping through the (laughs) asylum. So we've got the preps sunbathing outside the industrial goths go to the roof and interrupt the sunbathing situation by throwing water balloons that are actually water condoms at them. Yes. It's pretty funny, too. Very um, cliche 80s. The girls get into their bathing suits to sunbathe Mm -hmm. and just stay in them the rest of the film. Don't worry, they still got their shoes and socks on. Well, Patty Mullen's character looks awesome because she eventually puts on like this long jean jacket. And she's got like, I don't know, like Linda Ronstadt hair. She's got like Bridget Bardot hair. But also Linda Really cool looking, yeah. So it is funny though that they just have them in these outfits the whole time and they're just running around this abandoned asylum. (laughs) There's not, honestly, there's not a lot more to this film after this. No. (laughs) We get a lot of cuts to an old film that was probably free rights. Okay, so the story behind that was the producer had, yeah, he had access to this catalog of like 100 plus old movies And when the script was submitted, it was a good script, but it was clear that it was way shorter than it needed to be. It was a 30-minute film. Yeah. And they were like, well, crap, we've got to at least get it to, I think, 79 minutes or 80 minutes for it to It was 79. Yeah. And so what they did was they just inserted 
quite a bit, like six plus minutes. It was a lot. It was of just the killer randomly watching old horror movies. It was like a music video. It would like cut to a black and white between basically every kill scene. Yeah, it is funny though. I, I, I think it's a clever way. It reminds me of Rock and Roll Nightmare, how... The film was way too short and they needed like 10 more minutes. So they just drove around in a van and that's the shot. Like, you know, that that kind of idea. Yep. Well, uh, we got to fluff it up a little bit. Let's do this. Let's get to the deaths. First of all, Darnell goes into the building to like, I guess, sort out the condom water balloon situation. But also he wants to meet the drummer. And he goes in and he's like calling to them and being like a salty guy, bringing some comic relief. But he just gets pinchers to the brain. Yes. Let's talk about the effects because this is probably, I mean, there's a lot going for this film. But the special effects are really fun. Yeah, they, they work really well. They were all done by a guy named Vincent Gustini, who I already mentioned before. This was his first time doing all these kind of rigs for, you know, blood packs and stuff like that. Oh, fun. Yeah, and he said that he learned all of this by reading Tom Savini's book, Grand Illusions. Mm -hmm. And he said it was like a godsend that everything was there. So they were just experimenting and having fun. And what's, what's funny is he said in his interview that... He really disliked it. When he saw this film, he was embarrassed. He thought everything looked <gasps> no. really bad and cheap. He said there's even this scene at the end that we'll talk about, but you can see the the tube going right behind the head, <laughs> pumping fake blood in. He said, but in retrospect, now he didn't get the humor. He didn't realize it was like a funny film at first. Oh. And once he did, he was like, this film's amazing. And that seeing things like the blood tube that wasn't supposed to be in the shot makes it even funnier. That's my very favorite thing is to spot those in like cheap movies. Yeah, but I think he did overall, considering he just he said they they rigged most of this in uh, their kitchen in their apartment and figured it out. He said he used a lot of the food from his mom's refrigerator and stuff to try and do all this. And kind of figured out, he had only worked on Spookies prior to this. Okay. But he went on after this to have an extremely prolific career. I mean, he did things like, well, he did one called Lone Wolf that I love. I talk about it a lot. The heavy metal horror. We'll use heavy metal in quotes. Okay. Soft rock horror. (laughs) Uh, He did Toxic Avenger 3, Child's Play 3, Super Mario Brothers. But then he went on to big things. Super Mario Brothers? Well, that's a film that a lot of people do like. But he did like Last of the Mohicans, Dogma, Requiem for a Dream. So, I mean, like he went on to have a real career, but I love that this was his start was just having fun on this low budget horror film. So the kills overall are very entertaining. And for that reason, that that they, they really are well done. Yeah. And there's only, I think, like 13 deaths in this. That's a lot. Really? There's that many? Everybody dies. Maybe oh. 12, except for Kiki. Yeah, I guess so, huh? Spoiler. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, come on. You've had more than 20, 30 years to watch it. <laughs> you deserve a spoiler. So let's get back to it. Indecisive Mike goes in search of Darnell, who has just died by having pinchers into his head in a very rad death. Also, P.S., Darnell has a necklace that says Darnell, lest you forget his name. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> So he uh, also Dennis is the other guy who's with them. He's like a weird nerd and it's unclear why he's hanging out with them. He's obsessed with baseball cards. And he just chases one that blows very obviously on a string into the asylum. 
I think that was a trap, wasn't it? How could how could Mitch have hooked like a fishing line to the card? <laughs> He's a clever guy. No. Anyway, Mike goes in. He's wandering. Uh, Mitch still has Judy's hand. We discover. Yeah, so but it's like a decayed. It's like a mummified hand, hand that yeah. he's just like caressing his face with. That is <laughs> his, pretty funny. Well, he doesn't have skin on his face, so it works. Mike finds Tina eating chicken and playing chess on the roof, and he gets into a fight with Tina, and she just kind of dangles him off the roof. <laughs> she beats him up and then throws him over the side. And everybody's like, it's fine. That's <laughs> so great. It's awesome. It's this whole very physical fight scene, too. So Tina lets him hang for a little bit, and finally Kiki and Kristen Davis's character decide to go looking and, like, intervene. The drummer girl, meanwhile, is like, I'm bored by this roof-hanging business. I'm going to go find Darnell. And she goes looking for him, and she finds that the fake French girl has had her head melted off by Mitch. (laughs) This looks great. And then he hung it from a string. Yeah, but the head itself looks so cool. Yes. It's like pulsating blood out and everything else. Yeah, Yeah, he like dipped it in acid. (laughs) Yeah. That's so cool. (laughs) The kills just look so... They're so good. And meanwhile, unfortunately, the drummer gets strangled and put in a bathtub. What does she say as she's being killed? You're just a product of the system or something like that? That was the, fr- the French girl, yes. Yeah. But then she recants and is like, I'm a Republican. I voted for Reagan. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. <laughs> um, but the drummer gets strangled with a stethoscope. But afterwards, uh, Mitch uses the stethoscope to double check that she's actually dead. <laughs> yeah. And he's got a lot of one-liners, too. Yes. it's He's got a lot. He's got a lot them. of one-liners. So Kristen and Kiki finally find Mike. And Decisive Mike has just been wandering aimlessly around the asylum for quite some time He doesn't know where to go. And Kristen goes looking for friends but finds Mitch. And she's been on this weird, like, psychodrama situation and decides he's a delusion and, like, tries to talk herself through the delusion. Meanwhile, he just (laughs) cuts her face open. He just saws her face. This looks so good. This looks awesome. It really does. It looks a lot like her face as it is being sawed. Just considering the budget and considering how they're making it, well done. It moves. It reacts. Yeah, it looks great. And Tina runs in. Yeah. And, and spots her. Yeah, so she has, I guess at some point, let Mike off the roof. And yeah, she's but, wandering. But Mike spots Tina. Yes. And thinks that, that she's done it. Uh-huh. And says this line that made me laugh pretty hard. I didn't do it! I swear! I didn't do this! You're in a lot of trouble, Torpedo Tits! I'm gonna get you for this! So Tina's mad, and she she's like, I didn't saw your friend's face essentially and she goes on her own way but finds that her friends have been killed also so they all are beginning to realize that there's a killer on the loose yeah mike and kiki go to pray because apparently this asylum has a church in it so they go to pray and then they just kind of wander around tina is has armed herself and she is wandering in search of mitch so she's like on the war path this this section of the film, there's a lot of wandering. It's a lot because, again, 
This movie's 79 minutes. Six of it goes to shots of old movies. And then the rest, I'd say 80% goes to them wandering. It's really funny. Like, between great kills, it's basically just them wandering around and then shots of him watching old movies. And then they're like, cool, we did that for 10 minutes. We can do another kill now. I want you to understand, though... That we love this movie. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm not complaining. I'm just saying that's kind of the pacing of it. It absolutely is. But it's all going to come to a head. They can only wander for so long. Yeah. Finally, Mitch Mitch captures Mike and Kiki and cuts off Mitch's toes in a pretty graphic scene. It looks good, yeah. Mitch passes out by, I think it's on toe number three is when he finally loses consciousness. Tina breaks in, and she is not about it. She is ready to fight. But Kiki's tied up, so she can't really do anything. Mike's passed out. Tina rescues Kiki, and then she gets a weird death. Oh, Tina? Yeah. That machine was just there, too, by the way. Well, but it doesn't do... (laughs) No, it doesn't do what they have it do, but... It's like a... I think it's a bottle cleaning machine. It's all these, like pokey uppy things i feel like you put bottles on it and it goes through a washing process yeah but it just goes on a conveyor belt through some flaps but they put her through it and she comes out on the other end as like a meat cube yep meat cube with a hand poking with out. Hand and a spring yep and a shoe <laughs> and then her bra follows it's really funny it's fabulous it makes zero sense <laughs> i'd like i don't collect figures but it would be really funny to have a figure oh, of just the meat cube that'd be so cool yeah, so she gets killed, and that just leaves us with Kiki. Yeah, so Kiki takes off. Yeah. And Mitch seems to think she's Judy at this point. Yeah. Which, which, I mean, I mean, makes sense. It's the same actress playing both roles. Also 10 he's years smart in guy. an asylum with no face skin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so take your pick. Kiki is touched by his effort, but remembers that he and her mom are going to send her to boarding school. So she's like, actually, you know what? And stabs him and walks away. Yeah, she gets a little one-liner and walks off, and then we get the uh, House of the Rising Sun cover again. Also, loud birds. Oh, yeah, those birds were so loud at the end. Why did they do that? I don't know. It's a bird cacophony. The film is short and sweet to the point. Very short. It gives you everything you want, and then you just move on with your life. It's really good. It did not get a theatrical release, surprise. It was really geared towards home video, and they signed on with Academy, like I said. So speaking of Rock and Roll Nightmare, um, that came out on Academy. Killer Workout, like a bunch of good films. Nice. But this came out. One of the interesting things that some people may know who own it and, and some may not is it was edited for no reason. Like nobody really knows why. The whole toe cutting scene and everything is is omitted from the VHS release. So they cut out the toe cut? Yeah. So the the Blu-ray is kind of the restored version. Okay. Yeah. I thought that was kind of interesting. Weird. I mean, it happened a lot in the 80s where they would just kind of randomly cut Who scenes. Who even knows? But overall, super fun film. So fun. The humor, we didn't really translate for you because i don't want to ruin the jokes because that's the point of this movie well we played some clips though so at least you get a good sense of a it. little taste but it carries throughout the film yeah i would say horror comedy is probably one of the hardest combinations to pull off mm-hmm. this isn't like a home run but it's funny and it's funny enough to make like it just is very entertaining to it's not distracting like i guess that's some of my my issues with some of the horror comedies I watch is it tries a little too hard and it's not funny. 
this one is just well placed. It's it is funny. It is funny. They tried pretty hard. That's very clear, but not too hard. Just at the edge of too hard. Yeah, I I think it works really well. I think it's a great combination of everything you want in kind of a cheesy eighty yeah eighties horror film. Yeah, if you haven't watched it, what are you waiting for? Go watch it. Yeah, like we said, I I do think it is on Tubi, but if you have a copy, good for you. Pat yourself on the back. Okay. Look at yourself in the mirror. Give yourself a thumbs up and say you're winning. Not a weird stabby mirror. (laughs) Yeah, don't do that. Oh, I did forget to mention Kiki stabs Mitch with her mom's mirror that she grabbed. Yeah, That's really important. Yeah, it's super important. So important. (laughs) Well, final thoughts. What did you think? It's your first time watch. I loved it. Yeah. Wasn't bored, didn't fall asleep, and that includes lots of wandering and <laughs> old TV or movie scenes. Yeah. Well, and the, the fun thing is the other film we were going to watch is mm-hmm. going to be awesome, too. So, yep. I mean, we've got a couple. We might do it a next episode. Maybe. I don't know. We'll see, because I do want to get to that one right away, too. So. Yeah. Okay, well, that is Doom Asylum, 1987. Hope you guys have seen it. If not, go watch it. It's a real fun film. Hope you liked our little mini walkthrough. We just felt like it was it was fun to talk about, so why not? Why not? It's our show. We can do what we want. Yeah. Get out of life. here. Go yeah. on. If you have a problem, send your emails to... <laughs> JK at... JKRowling at Hotmail.com. <laughs> She deserves it. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, if if you liked us, like you said, you can follow us. We're on Instagram at Lasergraves. You can check out all our back episodes at lasergraves.com or wherever you get your podcasts mm-hmm. rate review subscribe that really does help us mm-hmm. um go listen to other podcasts that that our friends we post them throughout the week when they have shows come up and if you want to support us through patreon we're at patreon.com slash lasergraves and that is what we have this week Thank so you. uh have fun oh i know the song to play us out Thank <laughs> you.